coming up is a bit of a legend. He actually, he's looking quite good this morning. He's got this real cool youth pastor vibe going on, which is fitting given that Zan is our youth pastor. So why don't we give him a warm welcome. Awesome. Hello. Just a quick piece of advice first. Don't do a message after communion. It's a bit emotional. Um, so, Lord, I pray for no voice breaks. So, uh, here we go. But first, before you guys all sit down, don't sit down. I'm going to be one of those guys again. I feel like it inspire you have to be. But before you sit down, go compliment two people. Go share some love. Go spread some love. Compliment two people. Make it, try to be creative with it. Maybe fresh cut, maybe uh, you like their top, I'm not sure. Go spread at least two compliments. take your seats. I believe the band can take their seats. I feel like the band did an awesome job this morning. Who thought the band did an awesome job this morning? Yeah. Now, who feels a little bit better after a couple of compliments? Anyone feel a little bit better? Sadly, I didn't get any compliments because I was up here, so no one came to me, unfortunately. Sad life. But also, I want to shout out to my introverts who were like, why did he say that? Um, you know, there's people when you're like, oh, go turn to your neighbor and say this, and they're like, eh, <laughs> no, I'm going to stay here, nice and comfortable. Shout out to you guys. I love you too. You guys are looking awesome today. But our theme is love our city, and I love our theme this month, because we do it usually every year. And so love our city. I love it because the two greatest commandments are, anyone know? Sweet, I was just testing if you guys were Christian or not. Um, but yeah, love God and love your neighbor, or love God and love others. And so that's what I love about Love Our City, because it comes down to those two things that makes it so powerful. That's literally the answer on how we love our city. And so we think to love our city, we obviously have to focus on the love our neighbor part or love others part. But to be honest, I think it's kind of like two on the same. We've got to focus on both to love our city. And in John 13, 34, it says, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you that you are my disciples if you love one another. So for us to love our neighbor, we need to love as Jesus loved us. We need to love as Jesus loved us. And then people will know that we're his disciples. And so that is hugely important because we can't just toss out the love God and then we're like, yeah, we'll just love neighbors this month, all good, and then next month we'll come back to loving God. No, we can't do that. We've got to do two at the same time. They're both the same. And I love even in our, our four statements, we say love God and people. So it's and, it's not or, it's not 
Jesse always preaches it. He preaches it so well. But <laughs> no worries. There's your compliment. There's your compliment. But our problem, or at least a problem for me, is we have this constant comparison that we need to love as Jesus loved. And that's pretty hard to kind of measure up to. Anyone, unless anyone thinks they can measure up to Jesus, anyone like got it all together here? Anyone's like, yo, I've got it down. I can love perfectly. I'm a, yeah, I'm not going to, I could say something wrong like Pastor Don, so I'm not going to dig a hole any further. But anyway, I feel like it's hard to compare to what Jesus did when he loved us. And so I kind of want to break that down as how do we measure up to the immeasurable? How do we measure up to this kind of impossible height that Jesus loved people? Yet he's commanding us to love as he loved us. But a few chapters later, Jesus gives us the key to unlocking it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now we're still like, oh, that's still immeasurable. But then he says, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that you may, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You notice he's kind of being repetitive. He's getting it through, love each other as I have loved you. But what I love is that first point is remain in his love. As he's the vine, we are the branches. We have to remain in him. We, we can't love without remaining in him. And it would be impossible for us to, you know, we might be able to spread a few compliments like we did this morning, but we can't continuously keep that up unless we're remaining in the vine. And so what I mean by remaining in the vine or remaining in his love or remaining in him is that we've got to constantly seek him out prayerfully. We've got to come to, you know, Inspire Church or wherever you're going to. Come to a place where there's good people surrounding you that are talking about the words of God. Press into him. That's remaining in him. Remaining in his love. That you've got to be around him constantly. Because we can't pour out a love that we don't know. And if God is love and we're like distance, we're away from him, it's pretty hard to love our city. So we need to be constantly get around anything that is of God, that is of Jesus, because then we can love better than ever. We can love our city and love our neighbors better than ever. So come to the source, the vine. We need to remain in his love because we just can't love well if we don't know love ourselves. So let's remain in him. And every time I see that verse, I always think of this, this cabbage tree that I used to have growing up. Anyone have a cabbage tree before? They're the worst things in the world. And as a child, I thought I had the worst childhood ever. Obviously didn't. But I had three cabbage trees. And I had a massive backyard. And my dad, every time he mowed the lawns, he was like, oh, the lawnmower can't go over these leaves. I'm like, oh. And so there's hundreds of cabbage tree leaves just everywhere, all brown. And I'm just like, oh. So I spend like two hours picking up, and I swear I see them falling as I'm picking them up. And I'm just like, this is never going to end. And so my encouragement is be like those cabbage tree leaves and remain there forever. <laughs> because, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed a vent somehow. I've never really said that out loud. Feels good. So <laughs> moving on. 
think another good point to love like Jesus is to be committed and have an undiscriminating love. Be committed and undiscriminated love. I know Jesus tells us that loving people who love us is easy. He's like literally like, yo, that's easy. Try loving your enemies. <laughs> that's hard. And so Jesus was literally in a place where he knew people would betray him, <laughs> Judas. Um, anyone play Among Us? I'm talking to this young side, Among Us. They all know what it's like to have someone betray you. You trusted them. You think you know a guy, and then you play that game with them. And then just, Andrew. <laughs> but Jesus came into this world, and he loved and served people like Judas and people around him who he knew was going to betray him anyway. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing for us to do. It's to love people who, you know, uh, you know those big bullies or meanies at work, I don't know what they're like. We all, we all know one person. Does everyone know that one person? They're like, oh, <laughs> don't feel like being Christian today. But um, <laughs> I don't have those inspired staff, just by the way. I'm not going to just clear that up. No one, everyone here is lovely. So <laughs> that sounded sarcastic. It wasn't. Everyone here is lovely. <laughs> yeah. um, the next speaker might have to pray for me after. So, <laughs> but Jesus loved Samaritans. He loved the rich and the poor. He loved sinners. He loved young and old. He didn't discriminate who he loved. And those were all people that people didn't really associate with, especially sinners. He would be sitting at the table having dinner with them and loving on them and serving on them anyway. And then the, even the disciples were like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you with these people? And so I want to challenge you guys to have a committed, undiscriminating love. Because that is so powerful and it's a hard thing to do. Is to be committed, even if someone, you know, wrongs you. To be committed to loving them anyway, no matter what they do to you or, or what they're like, because God loves them. And when we know his love, we know he loves them. So no matter how we feel, no matter how difficult it is, we're going to try and love everyone. And my third point is that Jesus' love was sacrificial. Obviously, he died on the cross for us. He died for our sins. He died so we could be set free. He died so we can be in this very auditorium. And that's amazing. Not everyone gets this privilege to have a, a room around us where we can literally have fun and dance to thankful and move side to side and dance horribly. We're, we're privileged to be able to do that. And so Jesus died for us when we were still sinners, died for us when we were still enemies. And so if he shows a sacrificial love, we need to be showing it too. I'm not saying that we have to go die for someone right now, <laughs> but I'm saying that what are we sacrificing to love? Are we sacrificing our time to spend time with someone that we really care about? You know, we're so precious in holding on to our, our money, our time, or where we, where we put all of our areas in our life. We're like very precious with that. And so I want to ask you guys to have a sacrificial love where you, you sacrifice time. You give away time so you can spend with that person who's had a rough week. You sacrifice money so you can invest in the missions that we do in Cambodia and things like that in Vietnam. But sacrifice, what can you sacrifice? Because we all have something to sacrifice. And that is powerful love when we do that. And no love 
I can say isn't love without sacrifice. I know because I've had a month of marriage. So I'm basically a professional. No. <laughs> Emma, Emma is like, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't ask Emma. Um, <laughs> but um, love, yeah, we need to love sacrificially. And, um, and then we'll start to see change. And can I just say that I was a born-again Christian, and it wasn't an opinion change that changed me. It was a heart change. And we're not going to go out there and love our city and just expect to change opinions, but we need to change hearts. And that's going to come through sacrificial love. That's going to come through remaining in him and loving out of him. And then my fourth and final point before I hand it on is simply just reflect. Each day, we, I feel like we don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. It's just we're going to get it wrong <laughs> every single day. We're going to get something wrong. We're going to stuff up here and there. And I want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up about it, but reflect. Like, oh, I, I felt like I did this well. But when I was in that Auckland traffic on the Harbour Bridge, I did not do that well. So let's work on that. You know, at home, I was a bit grumpy because I had a hard day at work. I need to work on that. I'm going to stop saying situations, otherwise wives are going to start elbowing husbands or things like that. But we need to reflect on where we could do better. Because we're not going to be able to measure up to Jesus, but we have, as Jesse so excellently preached last week, we have the temple inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And so we do it out of Him. It's through God that things are possible. And so we need to be in that position and humbling ourselves before Him and be like, search my heart. Where can I improve? Where can I grow? And where can I learn to be better at loving and loving our city? So, four things to remember is remain in His love. Remain in the source. Read the Bible. Press into the Word. Surround yourself with people. There are I groups. Shout out to Shelly. If you want an I group, head to Shelly. She knows all the I groups. She's awesome. And then, two, have a committed, undiscriminating love. Have an undiscriminating love. That is a hard thing to do. That's probably what we're all going to be reflecting on. So, (laughs) let's go for that. And Jesus' love was sacrificial. We're going to sacrifice something to love well. And then four, reflect on this love and reflect on how you're going. Because, and reflect with each other as well because I need people around me to help me out. So I hope you guys do too as well. I'm just being humble up here. But anyways, I'm going <laughs> to invite the next person up. Some people call him James Bond, 007, as I've heard. But I'm also really impressed with his beard today. So has anyone turned to David Crossman? He's got a nice-looking beard going on. Um, I'm pretty jealous, but I think he should keep it, and we should try and make him keep it. He said he's going to shave it off. So, uh, (laughs) okay, I'll stop talking. But let's please be upstanding and welcome up this legend, David Crossman. Good morning, church. Well, I am Dave Crossman. I thought I'd better say that because I've got a beard now and I've got glasses and, you know, glasses often lead people to get confused. But hey, it's my privilege to be here today and to uh, speak to you. Um, I do have to admit, firstly, you can sit down. Sit down. Stand up, sit down. Sit. Um, I am a little bit nervous about speaking today, uh, not because I'm worried about talking. I'm pretty good at that. In fact, normally the problem is shutting me up. 
the um, reason I'm a bit worried was uh, what I want to talk about, because what I want to talk about is not something that you normally hear on a Sunday morning, but I do have permission to talk on it, so uh, we'll go for it. So this morning, my message is simple, know thine enemy. In the short time that I have, what I want to do is talk about who the enemy is, what he does, how we can combat him, and why we should. And I'll try, try and attempt to do that in a way that not only exposes the enemy, but brings glory to God, strengthens our Christian walk, and helps us in the fight. That's a pretty big ask in 10 minutes, so hold on to your seats. Why is it so important to know thine enemy? As many of you will know, I spent 27 years in the military, and during that time I studied at military colleges in Australia, New Zealand, and Italy. And one of the fundamental principles that came out of all of that was the importance of knowing your enemy so that you could effectively combat him. So today what I'll do is talk about our enemy, and I'll take it from a military perspective. I want to set the scene. When we were in London, there were a series of terrorist attacks that happened pretty close to where we were. Um, I want to look at one in particular, and that was the London, London Bridge attacks. Three men with knives jumped out of a van and proceeded to attack all of the people on the riverbank. Dozens of people were seriously injured until the terrorist response group arrived and subdued them. So in that situation, there were victims. There were people who were frozen with fear. There were people who were running, terrified. Which one would you have been? But what, what would happen if five, ten, fifty people had run at those assailants, well, they probably would have been pretty quickly overwhelmed and very few people would have been hurt. But why didn't the bystanders do that? Well, they were unprepared and they were scared, as I suspect most of us would have been. Well, it's the same with our Christian walk. We are under constant attack. Are we victims? Are we frozen? Or are we running for our lives? Or are we prepared to take on the enemy by ourselves and with the, or with the people around us? Well, I'm hoping that after today, you'll be the latter. Not getting many amens out there, church. <laughs> Come on, work with me here. <laughs> so are we in a war? Exactly. The answer is yes. It says in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. Does the enemy actually want to hurt us? Yes, exactly. First Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we better get it right. So who is the enemy? Quite simply, I'm sure you all know this, but the enemy is the devil or Satan and his army. But to understand who he is, we need to understand who he was. Ezekiel 28 describes Lucifer or Satan as one of God's most beautiful and powerful angels. He held a position of great power and privilege in heaven. However, because of his pride, Lucifer coveted the honor that belonged to God, and he wanted it so badly that he started a war in heaven. The outcome was that Satan and all his followers were cast out of heaven and found, found a stronghold on earth. Now, out of bitterness, he, along with his fallen angels that we call demons, are trying their best to hurt God by deceiving and destroying as many humans as, as they can. 
So what's the military perspective on all of this? Let's look at the enemy's capabilities. What's his strengths? Lucifer was one of the most powerful angels. He is intelligent. He knows how to lead an army. He knows military strategy, and he knows how to fight a war. What are his weaknesses? He is arrogant. He has intelligence, but not wisdom, because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. He has no authority on heaven or earth. He also knows that he has lost. So his motivation is hate and bitterness. So that doesn't lead to good strategy. Strength of arms. An enemy's strength of arms is important because it determines how they will fight the war. Revelations 12 tells us that Satan took a third of the angels with him when he was cast out. So that means God's got two-thirds of the angels. And it has all of us, Christians, right? So this isn't World War I or World War II, where you had two roughly equal forces combating an open warfare. The enemy here is grossly outnumbered, and he knows it. So he will use tactics that are non-conventional, what we call guerrilla warfare. What does that mean? It means that he will use stealth, deception, hit-and-run tactics. He will not wear a uniform, but will hide amongst the population. One of the enemy's greatest achievements was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And so what? Well, no, no enemy means no threat. No threat means no preparation, no armor, no surveillance, no taking or holding or protecting key objectives. He will fight dirty. He will also target his inferior numbers to best effect, and this is important. So he will seek to divide our forces in order to weaken us. We see that in divisions in the church and families. He will attempt to isolate individuals, separate them, then take them out. How many of your friends have you seen who have left church, fallen away because of some misunderstanding or disagreement, and then fell away from God? Too many. He will draw God's people out from their protection, whether that be church, family, prayer covering, or even acts of obedience, so that he can overpower them. And he will concentrate his forces on weak areas so he can destroy them. Now, there's one more tactic that I haven't mentioned yet, and I'll put it out there as a challenge, because I think it's important. Satan will focus his forces on what he perceives to be the current or future threat. So don't think to yourself, well, I must have it all together. I'm awesome because Satan never attacks me. <laughs> hey, it may just mean that you're actually not considered a current or future threat. The bottom line is, Satan doesn't worry about the lukewarm. So what's our role in this? <clears throat> Simple. We're part of God's army. We are soldiers. We are expected to play our part in the fight. Remember, God planned who you were from before the beginning of time. He gave you your strengths, your weaknesses, your capabilities, and he chose to put you and I on this earth at this time for a reason. Don't panic if you're sitting there thinking, oh, how can I do this stuff? Well, it's okay because God has already given us heaps of promises and tools that we need in this fight. And there are heaps of them. I'm sure you know them all. But I'll give you just eight. 
the battle is already won. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We have authority. Matthew 10, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The demons have to obey us. Luke 10 says, they return saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We are protected. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is strength in numbers. Psalm 68. God gives strength and power to his people so that one shall chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight. Isn't that awesome? There's power in prayer. This is an incredible verse. John 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and, this is Jesus speaking, and they will do even greater things than these. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. You can ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, there's a key there, in his name. Finally, God has given us a very special gift to help us as his soldiers in the fight, and that is the armor of God described in Ephesians 6. Now, I won't go through it all, but here's a couple of the key points. We are ordered to wear it. The shield of faith extinguishes the attacks of the enemy. We have a sword. A sword can be used for defense, but it's an offensive weapon. But the key comes at the end of that scripture, which says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So that's how we fight, through prayer. Not just nice, fluffy, oh, God, give me stuff, and uh, <laughs> God, please keep me safe from challenges. Heck no. We pray with wisdom, knowledge of the enemy, and with authority in Jesus' name. Also, we are soldiers. We should expect to be put in the battle. That's our job. So be obedient and pray, Lord, put me where you want me. And Lord, your will be done. Those are dangerous prayers, but it's what we're meant to be doing. So pray protection over yourself, your family, friends, church. Know that the enemy is trying to destroy your plans. Any plans you have to the further the kingdom, he will try and get in the way. So cover them in prayer. Recognize when you and others are under attack. Take authority over the enemy in Jesus' name and command him to leave the situation. And uphold your leaders in prayer. They face more severe attacks than any of us. So what's required of you as a soldier? Firstly, look after you. That sounds selfish and not very Christian, but that's a fundamental of being a soldier. That means each day you should put on your spiritual armor. Cover yourself in prayer. And submit yourself to God's authority. Pray daily for wisdom. It's promised in, in the Bible. Know your role in the battle. What are your spiritual giftings? What are your strengths? What's your purpose? We talked about that over the last season. If you don't know, you need to ask him. You must maintain effective communications. That's prayer. Remember, look after your fellow soldiers. Pray for your friends and your family. They're going through it as well. Remember, there is strength in numbers, so fellowship, youth, 
young adults, eye groups, get involved. Finally, use your weapons. And that's a whole other sermon. So to wrap it up, one, we do not need to be afraid of the enemy. However, it's important to remember that he is real, he is intelligent, and he is dangerous. Two, the victory is won and we have authority over the enemy. We just need to command it in Jesus' name. Three, we are not fighting people. We love people. We're fighting against the principalities and the powers of darkness. Four, we must remember that we are soldiers. We're in God's army. He has a plan and purpose unique for us. We need to know it and then do it. And as soldiers, we should expect to be in the battle. Five, and finally, pray against the enemy. Praying against the enemy isn't reserved for the super spiritual or um, intercessors. It's for you and for me. We know who the enemy is. We know how he fights. He knows, we know what he's going to do. But more importantly, we know the authority that we have in Jesus' name. So we need to pray. We need to pray for family, friends, our church leaders, and to link it back to our current season, our city. Love our city. We need to be praying this way and with authority and in Jesus' name over our city and our nation. So let's think back to that original London Bridge example from the start. I trust now that you are confident and will no longer be a victim or will run away from spiritual attack. But instead, you will expect that this will happen and that you will be prepared in advance. And when you do come under spiritual attack, you know you are armed and you have the authority to both fight and win against the enemy. In fact, perhaps you aren't going to be just that bystander that runs in to help. Perhaps you will be the anti-terrorist squad. So good. What, what I love about that is um, when, when Dave had mentioned first to Pastor Don and also myself that, um, you know, we've got the theme of love our city, but God had given you a word that sent really left field. It's not. <laughs> I think about, you know, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a bit of struggle there. And um, what I love is, you know, that, that point that you made that, uh, you know, the, the, the first attack there is just to be unaware, you know, just to be completely unaware. You know, we live in a, in a culture and a society where it's to, you know, almost take away the supernatural and only focus on the natural. And that's, that's the danger. And I love at the moment, I'm, I'm studying through Matthew 4 and Luke 4, and you've got Jesus in the wilderness. And he's there, and the enemy comes. And what I love is it's exactly what Dave was talking about. Jesus demonstrates for us how to win. What does he do? He takes the word and he uses it offensively, not defensively. He takes the word of God. It's the importance of understanding the Word of God, understanding the promises, understanding who God's called us to be, understanding the authority that we've been given so that as we pray, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that it's not just words, but it comes with power, 
that we understand that it's not just a prayer, but we participate in that. That we love indiscriminately. That we love not just out of ourselves, but out of the source of God. That when we're in the middle of that struggle and it's a stretch, that we're connected and we've still got that source. We've still got that love. We can still keep that right spirit. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.